Welcome to Let Us Go Into the House of the Lord. I'm Pastor Michael Lilienthal, and I am excited to continue into the Epiphany season, uh, this joyous season of light, and to plan the first Sunday after the Epiphany. We had the Festival of the Epiphany on January 6th, uh, and the Epiphany season is, is a season of varied lengths, uh, kind of like the, the Trinity season. Um, and in, the, in this season, we, we look to how... How Jesus reveals himself, how he manifests himself. We talked about the Epiphany festival itself as when he manifested himself to the Gentiles. And now we're going to continue to see his miracles, uh, to see how he presents himself to the world, uh, and the blessings that he brings to really all walks of life. Uh, so when we come to Epiphany 1, uh, the first Sunday after the Epiphany, we're going to see um, an emphasis on uh, youth and education. Um, if you look in that, that section in the hymnary, uh, the Evangelical Lutheran hymnary for Epiphany 1, uh, around the 180s, uh, 170s, 180s, uh, for the numbers there, uh, a lot of the hymns in there are, are hymns that, uh, would be, um, familiar for, for Sunday schools. Um, God loves me dearly, grants me salvation, that's one that's in there. Uh, I am Jesus, little lamb, that's another one, um. Jesus loves me is in there. Jesus loves me, this I know. So we've got this emphasis on youth and education. And this is a Sunday. Now, I said uh, the Epiphany season is uh, of varied lengths, and it does depend on where Easter falls in a given year. Uh, but we're always going to have a Sunday after Epiphany. There's always going to be one uh, Sunday in there. I think the minimum is two Sundays in Epiphany. I might be I might be wrong on that. There might be more. Um, but uh, yes, we'll, we'll always at least have this first Sunday after Epiphany. So this emphasis on youth and education is always going to be there. And there are, oh, there are some, even, even before I, I'm, I'm getting into looking at the, the readings here, there are some excellent, excellent hymns in this section of the hymnary. Um, it's going to be hard not to sing all of them. One of my favorites right in here is hymn 182, One Thing Needful. Uh, one thing needful, this one treasure, teach me, Savior. Emphasizing the, that, that one thing needful. We, we might think of uh, the, the account of, of Mary and Martha with Jesus at Bethany, um, teaching Mary who sits at his feet while Martha is working in the kitchen. Not that Martha was doing anything wrong. It's just that uh, when, when Martha got upset and, and thought, well, Mary should be doing what I'm doing. Jesus said, well, no, actually, Mary's doing the more important thing. Uh, yes, it's good to serve and to help and, and to fulfill a vocation. That Let that never be said, that uh, you should fill your vocation. But to listen to the word of God is the more important thing, because that's really where justification comes in. Uh, we are justified by the hearing of God's word. We are absolved of our sins. We are forgiven. We are given grace through the hearing of God's word. The sanctification, the, the doing of good works, that follows. Uh, that comes out of uh, what we receive in the word. So, all right. Anyway, that's, that's one of the big ones in there. The, the other one that I, I am certain I'm going to include, uh, for this Sunday is hymn 178. I pray thee, dear Lord Jesus, my heart to keep and train. That's a hymn that, uh, is, my, uh, catechism class knows by heart. Uh, we sing that every catechism class, um, to, to open the class. Um, it's, well, it's, it's a prayer that, uh, that we are, our, our hearts, are trained by Christ, that we become his temple, remaining that way from our youth all the way to our age. So the catechism class that's going to be confirmed, the prayer is that they continue in what they, in that faith that they are confirmed in through to their age, that they are turned away from the temptations of the world and instead uh, remain rooted in the knowledge of Christ. Um, 
that hymn itself by uh, Kingo, that 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 hymn that's uh, translated by Norman Madsen um, Senior, I believe. Um, that's that's actually the sixth verse in a six verse hymn by Kingo, and the previous five verses are all about the boy Jesus in the temple. Um, they are translated into English from the Norwegian by um, Mark de Garmo. Um, who did a lot of work on the hymnary itself, but the, those verses are not included in the hymnary. I'm debating whether or not I want to include those verses. Uh, I'll see as I continue planning this service uh, whether I want to print those those verses in in the bulletin or something for for the people to sing. Um, since I know this hymn is familiar to the congregation, those verses might be uh, enjoyable to know. Um, but in, in any case, uh, that's significant when we get to the, the readings for, for this Sunday. I do want to look at the intro it for Epiphany 1 uh, as, the, as the first thing before we get to the readings itself. But here it says, for Epiphany 1, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. I heard the voice of a great multitude saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now that um, part of this um, intro, it comes from one of my favorite sections of scripture, and that's uh, from Isaiah 6. When Isaiah sees a vision of God in the temple, he saw the, the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Uh, and, and the terror that Isaiah feels being in the presence of God is, is palpable at that point. He sees the, the vision of the seraphim, uh, the, the angels with six wings apiece, two covering the face, two covering the feet, and two used for flying uh, as they're around the throne. And they, they speak to one another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, which is, of course, our sanctus. Uh, part of the uh, communion liturgy. Uh, now, this Sunday is not a communion Sunday uh, in our at our Savior's in Albert Lee, um, but uh, the 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 concept there of seeing God in His temple. Uh, we should be reminded of communion uh, at this time when we see God present in His temple. That's something that's very significant. And the rest of this, uh, the the voice of the great multitude, um, is uh, from Revelation 19 um, when. Uh, Again, John sees a vision of, of God uh, on the throne, and the, the multitude there is, is giving him praise. So it's it's parallel, really, that Old Testament, New Testament, seeing God in the temple. And we're, we're to conceive of this in that sort of broad way, where we see God across, across time. He's, he always comes to be present with his people in, in his temple. And so where is God's temple? That's, that's really one of the key questions of this. Where is God's temple? Uh, and we, we see that, that vision of the temple from Isaiah, that the temple is, is that structure that God ordered to be built for his worship. But then in Revelation, um, if you read the fuller context of that, there is no temple in the New Jerusalem because God is present there. So really the temple is where God is present. We're going to see more of that uh, as we go through these readings. That's Oh, I, I, I love this Sunday. Um, I love it so much. Anyway, all right. So we're continuing the Old Testament lectionary, so I'll read the Old Testament lesson last. But for Epiphany 1, the epistle lesson is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your appropriate worship. Also do not continue to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you test and approve what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. So by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think in a way that results in sound judgment, as God distributed a measure of faith to each of you. 
for we have many members in one body, and not all the members have the same function. In the same way, though we are many, we are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Alright, so the worship here, sacrifices are, are brought up. In the Old Testament, the temple worship included sacrifices, but now in the New Testament, Paul is saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that's not um, slaughtered on the altar, not shedding its blood, at least not literally, but a, a living sacrifice. So think of your bodies, think of yourself as something that is a sheep led to the slaughter. Um, there's some theology of the cross going on in here, that as Christians, we live uh, as sacrifices. We live in a way that uh, is giving ourselves, dedicating ourselves wholly to God. Think of the whole burnt offerings uh, in Leviticus, where the whole animal was put on the altar and completely burned up entirely. That, that represents that complete dedication to God. That's what our bodies are to be now, uh, as members of Christ's body, which is significant there too, that we're talking about uh, the, uh, the, the life of the church, the new temple, the, um, in, in a way. Uh, when we're thinking of this worship, we're thinking of who the church is. Um, so, yes, think of yourself, not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Uh, think of that, that perspective of Isaiah. When he saw God on his throne high and lifted up, he, he was extremely humbled. Now, that's going to be significant when we get to the gospel lesson, and I'm, I'm itching to get at it. I, I, I know I'm not preaching on it this, this year, um, but... Uh, it's 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 a oh, it's such a good gospel lesson. So I'm going to read that right now before I continue uh, on here. And that's from Luke chapter two, verses 41 to 50. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. When the days had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Since they thought he was in their group, they went a day's journey. Then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? See, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be taking care of my father's business? They did not understand what he was telling them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. He was always obedient to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Oh, this account of Jesus uh, as a child in the temple. Um, he's, he's being obedient, first of all, going to the Passover festival, um, which, of course, he is himself the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God, as John the Baptist would point out when Jesus went to be baptized by him. So going to this Passover festival is, is very significant that Jesus observed that every year with his parents. He always went to Jerusalem every year to celebrate this festival. Um, and he went to the temple. He, he would go to the temple. And this, this is significant too. Uh, Luke's gospel sees this a lot where Jesus is in the temple. And that's very significant whenever Jesus is in the temple. It really shows the movement of where the temple is. Uh, really, the temple moved already from this point. Uh, the, the temple where God meets his people was no longer the temple already. The temple had moved to Mary. She was the temple housing God himself. And Jesus was born and laid in the manger. There was the temple. Then Jesus' body itself became, was the temple, just as Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. 
and just as Jesus was the perfect priest. All of these things are wrapped up in Jesus. And so when Jesus is in the temple here, showing his brilliance uh, as far as the scriptures, asking questions, um, giving, causing amazement at his, at his understanding and his answers, um, that's just showing how the transfer from the structure, the building of the temple to Jesus was being made complete here. Jesus is that true temple. So where do we find God? Where do we go to see God? In the temple. In the temple. And where's that temple? In that. That's that's what's significant here. That's that's why I'm thinking that uh, hymn 178, uh, using the uh, the the five other verses, is something that I want to do here. I, again, it's a familiar hymn, so the tune is going to be uh, right there for people. But to hear all of those verses, and that ties in too with that connection with the epistle lesson: offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, and so when we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, it's only in connection with Jesus' body as a sacrifice. We can't pay for our sins. Uh, if if we were to offer ourselves on the altar uh, for for God to to pay for our sins, it would be a rejected sacrifice because we can't pay for our sins. But because Jesus has already paid for our sins, our bodies are united to his sacrifice to him. And therefore, when God looks at our bodies, looks at our works, looks at our deeds, he sees purified deeds. He sees perfect works. He is pleased with what we offer to him. And that connects too also with that statement, uh, let no one of you think more highly than he ought from that Romans 12 passage, uh, the, the epistle lesson. Look at Jesus, who didn't think more highly than he ought. He was obedient to the festival. He was obedient to his parents. It says that very explicitly, and it shows his humiliation here in how he grew in wisdom and stature. Now, this is something that always gave me trouble as a kid. How could Jesus, if he was true God, how could he grow in wisdom? <laughs> isn't he already perfectly wise? Doesn't Isn't he omniscient? Doesn't he know everything? How can he gain more of that? Um, but this gets into uh, that um, the, the two natures of Christ. Uh, I've talked about that before. Uh, the The communication of attributes is is the the dogmatic way of talking about this um, under three genera, and this is the genus Myostaticum. Um, how how can uh, in in part anyway? Um, how how can Jesus, who is true God and therefore omniscient, be said to grow in wisdom? Well, that's because he had a human nature. He grew in wisdom and in stature according to his human nature. Think of it in, in physical terms, too. God is omnipresent. How can he be said to grow in physical stature? How can he be said to, to grow in how much space he takes up if he is everywhere, right? But it's because of the human nature. According to his human nature, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. And that again, that's his humiliation. Jesus set aside his divinity, his divine attributes, in order to humble himself, to put himself under the law, to be obedient, to not think of himself more highly, and to, to do all of that perfectly for us. In doing that, he was making that sacrifice. And so in that epistle lesson, that's why I wanted to tie these together, Paul is telling us to see the example of Christ, to see how Christ humbled himself. How much then ought we not to humble ourselves in the same way, or even more, if the God of heaven and earth humbled himself for us, how much should we humble ourselves? We who are his uh, sinful, pitiful creatures with all of our limitations and flaws. So yes, we ought to humble ourselves. That's pretty clear. 
All right, on to the Old Testament lesson, which will be the uh, sermon text for this Sunday. It's from Genesis chapter 27, verses 1, thing 1, to, to connect with all of this. Genesis 27, 1 through... When Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could hardly see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? He said to him, I am here. Isaac said, Look, I am very old, and I do not know when I am going to die, so please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the open country and get some wild game for me. Make me tasty food, the kind I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, and I may bless you with all my soul before I die. Rebekah had been listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. After Esau went to the open country to hunt for game and to bring it back, Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, and said, Listen, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, and tell him, Bring me some wild game and make tasty food for me that I may eat and give you a blessing from the Lord before my death. Therefore, my son, obey my voice and do what I am commanding you. Go now to the flock and get me two of the best young goats. I will make them into tasty food for your father, the kind he loves. You will bring it to your father so that he can eat it and bless you before his death. Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, But Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? I will be exposed to him as a deceiver, and I will bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Just obey my voice and go get them for me. He went and got them and brought them to his mother. His mother made tasty food, the kind which his father loved. Rebekah took the good clothing of Esau, her older son, which was with her in the house, and put it on Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and forearms and the smooth part of his neck. So she put the tasty food and the bread that she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. He came to his father and said, My father? He said, I am here. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done what you asked me to do. Please get up and sit here and eat some of my wild game so that you may bless me with all your soul. Not a shining moment for the patriarchs here. Now, honestly, um, Jacob is is not an ideal character. My wife likes to spout how much she hates uh, the, the character of Jacob. I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's understandable. He's pretty despicable. This is just kind of the start here. And it's not even the start. He was, he was pretty awful to his brother Esau before this too. Uh, stealing his birthright. Now he's going to steal his brother's, uh, blessing. God, of course, used all this for good, but the, the points to draw out here are the, the stealing of, of the blessing. This, um, vaunting oneself more highly than one ought. Going through all these lengths to, to steal a blessing, to seize something that doesn't belong uh, to you. Think of this in terms of, of, of the worship, of um, the, the, the location of the temple and where we receive God's blessings. And, and it's where, where he gives them to us, where he joins himself to us. Now, Jacob had to put on, essentially, his brother's skin in order to receive a blessing. He had to pretend to be his brother. He had to usurp his brother. The opposite thing happens with Jesus. Jesus took on our skin. Jesus did that in order to give up his birthright, to, to give up what belonged to him, to give us everything that was his. He, he went into the temple in order to make himself a sacrifice for us, to, to give us his blessing, not to take our blessing. In fact, what Jesus took from us was our sin, our wickedness. It's called the great exchange that Jesus did here. Uh, so this, this is really, um, the Old Testament lesson here is kind of, uh, uh, an opposite, uh, a picture in, in opposite of, of what we are, um, talking about as far as Jesus, that, uh, 
Jacob is, is a counter example of Christ here. Uh, in fact, we should see ourselves in Jacob here. Uh, selfish creatures, ones who, who want to take what doesn't belong to us or, or think we deserve uh, to steal from others, um, to, to pretend, to deceive. This, this is our nature. We see the sinful nature in Jacob here. And we can make reference to the fact that God used this for good. God caused all this to work out for good in the end. Um, but we should not praise Jacob for this behavior. Uh, in fact, we should mock him for it. It's pretty pretty despicable. Um, and, and see that God worked despite Jacob's best efforts. Uh, that, that God caused the promise to come through Jacob then. Not because of any good on Jacob's part, but because, or despite Jacob's sin. In fact, through, because of Jacob's sin, God brought about salvation. Um, so, yes, that's that's what we're seeing here with, with these lessons. All right, so I, I mentioned uh, 178 as uh, one of the, the hymns that's going to be sung here. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll do 178. Uh, and we're going to do all six verses. It's not terribly long, especially on a non-communion Sunday, um, to to do it that way. Um, singing all six verses. I think that'll be the chief hymn. So we'll, we'll put that in there um, as the chief hymn, which leaves us with an opening hymn, uh, uh, a hymn of thanks, and a closing hymn that we, we will need to sing here. And like I said, there are a lot of great hymns in this section. Uh, I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for singing Jesus Loves Me. Um, and I, I think uh, this being uh, the, the Youth and Education Sunday with that too, we might get uh, the, the Sunday school involved in singing this too. I'll bring that up to the, the, the Sunday school teacher, see if we can get the Sunday school to, to sing at least one verse uh, of, of hymn 179. That's Jesus Loves Me. Uh, if we can get the Sunday school to sing all four verses, that's that's wonderful. We have a smaller Sunday school, though, so I'm not going to push for that too much. But if they can sing, like, the first verse and the last verse or just the first verse or something, have the congregation sing the rest, that would be such a joy to see um, the children coming and, and singing. singing. So that, that'd be a great opening hymn for, for this Sunday. Um, and then, actually, you know, I said uh, 170, uh, 178 for the chief hymn. I'm going to change that. I'm going to make uh, that the, the closing hymn. Um, as it'll tie everything together. We'll have seen everything, the, the whole service kind of come together, and that'll resolve it all. It, it does so. It ties everything off so well. Um, so instead, for the chief hymn, I'm going to use what the, the traditional chief hymn for this Sunday is, and that's the one I mentioned before, hymn 182. One thing needful, this one treasure, teach me, Savior, to esteem. That's a ten-verse hymn, so we're not going to sing all ten verses. Um, but, the, oh, we'll have to sing several of them. Um, quite, a, quite a number of them. Um, we need a chief hymn and a, and a thanksgiving hymn. I don't think I'm going to divide this one up uh, this time. Uh, I think that we'll, we'll have a different hymn for, for the thanksgiving hymn. Um, For the Thanksgiving hymn, I think we'll do 177. That'll, um, that's I Am Jesus, Little Lamb, another just beloved, lovely hymn, um, which has uh, that, the, the, that traditional closing verse um, in, in Lutheran hymns uh, that's all about death. 
sounds a little morbid, but uh, let me let me read that verse to you. Verse 3 of I am Jesus' little lamb. Who so happy as I am, even now the shepherd's lamb? And when my short life is ended, by his angel host attended, he shall fold me to his breast, there within his arms to rest. That, that, that comfort that we have being part of Jesus' body, uh, being joined to him by faith, being his little lamb, um, that, that youth idea, to, to think of ourselves as children, that's kind of one of the themes of the day, that we, we see the Sunday school children, which I think is very important for this Sunday, um, but then we think of ourselves as children. There's, there's this beautiful painting uh, at Our Savior's, um, on the, the pulpit side, the, the, the wall, if you look straight to the right and up, uh, when you're sitting in the pews uh, and facing the altar, if you look up, there's a painting there of Jesus blessing the little children. It's, it's huge. Uh, it's by uh, the painter Lloyd Herfindahl, who was a, uh, was a member of our, our congregation while he was living. We've got a stained glass window designed by him as well, um, and some prints of his down in the, in the basement. But that painting um, is an original uh, of his. We, we own it. Um, it's, it's on our wall. Um, in there too, he's got pictures, uh, uh, depictions of members of the congregation at the time, including the, the pastor of the congregation at the time, um, uh, pastor Richard Newgard, um, who's, who's depicted there among, among the adults, uh, around in the crowd. I, I, I love that picture. Um, I mean, in, in one sense, it can be just kind of sentimentalized the idea of Jesus blessing the children. Oh, isn't that sweet? But it's more than that. We should see ourselves as the children. That was that was Jesus' message when he blessed the little children. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as, as a little child will by no means enter it. So we are to be those children. And that I think I think the painter had that in mind when he drew that too. Um, that we see those children. There are a few uh, in the crowd who are um, kind of scoffing. And I think those are meant to be the disciples who are, who are acting that way. But then there are many others. There's a Roman soldier in there uh, and, and several other people who look like just kind of awestruck by this i think uh that they're they're just amazed that at this message of jesus and i think that the the point is that they are recognizing how humble they are to be uh the the humility that is to be ours and so when we sing that i am jesus little lamb i think every member of the congregation should be singing that um that i am however old I might be, and we've got members in their hundreds, I am Jesus' little lamb. I am a child in Jesus' arms. All right, so that's that's the, the hymn of thanks. But uh, for the chief hymn, one thing needful, I've got to figure out which verses uh, to sing here. Um, there's this connection to Mary in verse 3, then with Mary's full surrender, I would offer thee my heart. At thy feet my tribute render as my chosen better part. For Mary's heart burning with fervent emotion was quickened to serve thee with perfect devotion. And there, filled with love for her Savior and Lord, was with the one needful in blessed accord. That, I mean, we've got to have that one there. But, um, I mean, verse 2 is is great, too. Um, I mean, they're all great. What what can I, what can I put here? The, uh, verse 6, I think, is going to be a key one here. I have not my God to offer, offer save the blood of thy dear Son. Graciously accept the proffer. Make his righteousness mine own. His holy life gave he, was crucified for me. His righteousness perfect, he now pleads before thee. His own robe of righteousness, my highest good, shall clothe me in glory through faith in his blood. That, I think, connects to that whole offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice that we're making to pay for our sins. We can't. We have not to offer. So we've got to have verse 6 in there. Uh, so I've already established 1, 3, 6. Um, I don't want to do too much piecemealing here, um, but I might have to.
Wisdom's fountain ever flowing from verse 5 has its highest source in thee. By thy grace can find my going and thy footsteps trod for me. That one I think is is great as well. So verse 5, 1, 3, 5, 6 have to be in there. Um, verse 2 I think has to be in there as well. It just leads into verse 3. Seekest thou the one thing needful? Leave all cares that hindering prove. Be of earthly joys unheedful. Fix thy heart on things above. For where God and man both in one are united, with God's perfect fullness the heart is delighted. There, there is the worthiest lot and the best. My one and my all and my joy and my rest. Again, it gets to that uh, two natures in Christ as well, uh, connecting uh, that, that grand theme. So one, two, three, five, six. I think that's what it's got to be. Um, I don't want to go too many more than five verses since we've already got a six-verse hymn in there. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. 182 verses 123. Five and six. so there, uh, there are the majority of the propers for the day. The only thing I, I the only things I haven't selected are the collect uh, and the the psalm. I'm going to look at what the collect for the day is uh, and read that. It's going to have some of these same um, themes involved in it. But uh, it's collect number twenty on page one forty nine. O Lord God, we beseech you mercifully to receive the prayers of your people who call upon you and grant that they might both perceive and know what things they ought to do and by your merciful help may faithfully perform them through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. It's interesting that it uh, focuses on sanctification uh, a little bit there. Grant that we might perceive and know the things we ought to do, um, because he's receiving our prayers. Um, yeah, so help us to, to, to do what's right. Help us to do uh, what we are called to do. Um, that uh, focus on sanctification, of course, was there in um, the gospel lesson as well as Jesus submitted himself um, both to the, the priests, the temple, the, the festival, and to his parents. He was obedient to him. It says that very explicitly, that he was always obedient to him, which, of course, I, I didn't talk about this much when I read the gospel text, uh, that, that therefore precludes the idea that Jesus was somehow disobedient to his parents by not following them home. Uh, that, that ties to that one thing needful idea. That, uh, that need for Jesus to be in the temple was greater than his need to be with his parents at that moment. So no, he was not being disobedient. He was, in fact, following the will of his heavenly father at that. So then we come to the psalm, which for this Sunday is selected as Psalm 100. And that uh, is on page 187 in the hymnary. It's to tone four. Uh, so it would start, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Uh, and then it goes on, Serve the Lord with gla gladness. Come before his presence with uh, with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Yeah, that idea of uh, remaining humble, not uh, being too prideful. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So, I mean, obviously that's going to tie in pretty well with that uh, that Thanksgiving hymn. Uh, I am Jesus' little lamb, we are the sheep. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Um, it, that idea of coming before God, coming into his presence, we're talking about going to the temple there. But the whole concept of this Sunday is where is the temple? It's in Christ. And where Christ comes to us, in his church, that is, in word and sacrament. Jesus is there present in his word for us. Jesus is there present in baptism for us to clothe us in that righteousness. Jesus is there present in the Holy Supper with his body, that the body of that very boy in the temple, 
for us to eat. The blood that that boy also shed, both at his circumcision and then at his suffering and death, his passion and his cross, that blood we drink. That's where Jesus is, and that's where the temple is. That's where we meet God, and so we go there to praise him. And that recognition of God's glory is juxtaposed with this recognition of his humiliation, that he came to suffer and die for us, to, to humble himself, to put himself uh, in, a, in a servant position for us. It's, it's just absolutely remarkable, and I, I never get tired of talking about it or preaching about it or, or reading about it or meditating on it uh, or, or thanking God for it. Um, so that's going to be uh, our Sunday. Like I said, it's not a communion Sunday, so we're following right one, uh, abbreviated, uh, omitting the service of Holy Communion. Um, so uh, we'll open with the prayer, then the intro it, and the entrance hymn sung by the, at least partially by the Sunday school uh, this year with Jesus Loves Me. Uh, and then we go through the, the rest of the service of preparation all the way through the, the word, service of the word, uh, culminating the sermon, then the prayer, uh, and then we skip at, uh, back to the hymn after the offering, followed by uh, the closing collect and the benediction and the closing hymn and the closing prayer. So I hope uh, you are looking forward to this Sunday as much as I am. If you're able to visit us here at Our Saviors in Albert Lee, please do. Uh, please come on by and, and enjoy this service. Take a look at that painting that we've got there. It's uh, it's it's beautiful, like I said, um, and I hope it gives people uh, a great deal of opportunity to to reflect and meditate upon uh, the the blessing that we receive in Christ as we are His little children. Um, but uh, wherever you uh, happen to go for church, um, keep in mind where where the true temple is, and it's in Christ and how He comes to us in His means of grace, the Word that is preached in its truth and purity and the sacraments that are rightly administered, there we receive Christ and there we are clothed in his righteousness and exalted as he humbles himself to meet us. Uh, so you can find uh, me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. You can find uh, the church, our saviors, ELS, uh, dot com. Uh, and you can find uh, this podcast and all the information about it at tapestryradio.org slash Lord's House. Until next time, peace be with you. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours.